Welcome to the Equine Connection Podcast, where health, nutrition, and love for the horse come together. This podcast is brought to you by Tribute Superior Equine Nutrition. I'm Dr. Chris Mortensen. And I'm Dr. Nicole Rambo. Welcome back, Nicole. How are you? I am doing well, Chris. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. It's our same tagline every time, our intro. Always wonderful to talk about horses. Today, you brought this up a few weeks ago, so it I, I feel like it's a very interesting topic. And maybe you can just give an intro real quick on, on where this came up. But protein diets with our metabolic horses, why is this such a topic right Ah, okay. So sometimes topics come up for the podcast because they start being a question that like trickles into me. And I first got a couple of questions about this uh, over a year ago. There's been some research that's been published on protein in horses with equine metabolic syndrome. Not a lot, a tiny bit. And slowly I'm seeing it come up more and more. And I thought we'd just go ahead and address it broadly because I've been answering this question in singularity to, to vets, to horse owners, all of them individually. And I thought, you know what? Coming up often enough that it's on people's radar. Let's talk about it and really, really dig into it. Okay. Yeah. No, no, it's good. It's good. Yeah. I think, I think the listeners needed to know that because it's like, why do we pick our topics? And especially when it's a hot topic like this, it's, it's always good uh, to do a quick discussion on it. it. Good to start out with, again, reminding the listeners about what exactly equine metabolic syndrome is. I, I will say, uh, we did release an episode on this February 24th in 2021, two years ago. I was like, whoa, it just time flies. Time flies when you're having fun, right? It sure does. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, again, a brief overview of what EMS is and, and I guess which horses can get it. So equine metabolic syndrome, EMS, it's a collective term that describes horses that have an abnormal insulin response after consumption of a meal. So whenever a horse, healthy or otherwise, consumes a meal, it breaks down the sugars and starches into glucose. They absorb the glucose into the blood, and blood glucose is very tightly regulated. And the pancreas secretes insulin to maintain that blood regulation of glucose. And unfortunately, in some horses, a couple different things can go wrong that result in too much insulin in the blood. That could be that the pancreas secretes a lot of insulin, could be that the insulin doesn't work, meaning that insulin's meant to send fuel to peripheral tissues, and then the glucose doesn't leave. So it's like, well, let me secrete some more. Let me secrete some more. It could even be that the liver's not taking the insulin out as quick as should be once the horse is done with it. So that's kind of just a broad term of essentially horses that end up with too much insulin in their blood after a normal meal. And the reason that we are worried about this is because we know that once we go above a certain threshold of insulin, it dramatically increases the horse's risk of experiencing laminitis, so inflammation in the hoof, which that is incredibly painful. The end stage of that is, you know, a horse, it can be fatal because you have so much damage in the hoof. So what we're looking to avoid are these big insulin spikes after meals. So there's tons of research around how do we feed these horses to minimize the amount of insulin spikes that happen after a meal. We recognize we, they're not going to behave as normal horses do, regardless of their diet, but how can we keep it below that threshold that's too high that increases their risk of laminitis? 
Okay. Well, that that's a, that's a good explanation. Now, why this sudden interest in protein? Because uh, I'm listening to you, okay, and I'm like, okay, I, I I know what causes insulin spikes, sugar starches, blah 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 blah. Why protein? So the question comes up. A group of researchers was interested. You know, this happens in other species. Generally, we are overfeeding protein to most horses. It's just a natural consequence of their diet. We, we've talked a ton about that, how there's plenty of protein in forage, but we have to supply essential amino acids in our concentrate. So they just fundamentally had this question, which is, in horses with equine metabolic syndrome, do they have a normal or abnormal response to very high levels of protein in their diet compared to the healthy horse? Okay, so you did indicate there's some research there. So uh, I know there's there's two studies that, that we're going to talk about. And I guess the one that raised this question, can you kind of explain what the study did? And, and, and I guess this is the one that really got people like, whoa, okay, maybe we should watch out for this, right? Yeah, so it's interesting. So there's, there's two studies published today, one in 2019. Uh, which came out of the University of Kentucky, and then a more recent one published in 2022, also coming out of the University of Kentucky. And it's really only the 2019 study that keeps like ending up in my inbox. And in this particular study, Luce and co-workers, they looked at horses with and without equine metabolic syndrome. They fasted them overnight, and then they fed them two meals that were very high in protein in a 30-minute time span, so minute zero and minute 30. And then they measured the horse's response to that, so their blood glucose levels or blood insulin level after that meal. And what I really want to highlight is that it was a lot of protein that they fed in a way that isn't really consistent with how we typically feed products like this. So they took a ration balancer that was 31% crude protein and they fed four milligrams per kilogram body weight. Okay. So that's a normal way that you would kind of give that information in a research paper. How much mm-hmm. protein or product did I feed on a body weight basis to my test horses? You have to do the math to understand that what they actually did is they were feeding a thousand pound horse. They fed the equivalent of four pounds of ration balancer over 30 minutes. So they fed two pounds of ration balancer at minute zero and two pounds of ration balancer at minute 30. And then if you compare the quantity of protein that is in those four pounds to the daily NRC recommendation for crude protein intake, they actually exceeded those horses' total dietary daily protein recommendation in that span of 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. So what they were basically saying is like when we feed a lot, what happens? And what happens is that absolutely that insulin does increase significantly in those horses with equine metabolic syndrome compared to the controls. The ninefold increase in the EMS group. But what does that mean for real life? And I think Mm -hmm. that's that's the question that we ultimately can talk about today. And I think the follow-up study does a fantastic job of kind of highlighting some of that. But this information, understandably, if you just see the headline, which is that a high-protein meal affects plasma insulin concentrations in horses with equine metabolic syndrome. And you read that and you said, increase 9x. Then I can understand why you might be concerned and say, should I be feeding a ration balancer to my horse? And that's ultimately what you know has come out of this paper. People going, oh my God, they fed a ration balancer. 
that's not good for my horse with EMS. Should I be concerned? Should you? Do you feed four pounds of it in 30 minutes? I was going to ask you, like, don't we always feed like ration amounts or like a pound, maybe two, maybe? Right. There's some select situations yeah. where I'd feed three pounds of ration balancer per day, broken mm, per up into day. two meals. Exactly. That's what I say, per day, per day. Per day. Yeah. Not to my metabolic horse who's, you know, at maximum probably in light work and likely at maintenance. Um, That'd be my lactating mare who's on fantastic forage and I just have to fill in her nutritional gaps. And her nutritional gaps are high because she's lactating. So under a normal situation, that same thousand pound horse I would feed it one pound of ration balancer per day. Oftentimes, it gets broken up into two meals. Not saying that it has to be. You could just feed one pound of ration balancer once a day, but most of us feed our horses twice a day. So we would feed them a half pound in the morning, a half pound at night, rather than four pounds in one meal. And and just as you were talking about that, I, I just all these memories of always telling my grad students and and even my own research back in the day when I was exercising mares and influencing their fertility and i always i always told them one study doesn't make a truth right you got to follow up you've got to do more and more this is why we do research it's it's, it's we keep investigating and, and confirming results so when i did follow on studies study two study three study four different variables a little bit but showing the same phenomenon you go okay you know this is something this is something there right so it is interesting that I, I would say the first study, it, it's very interesting what they found, but the follow-on study, right? So, okay, that's that's the the all-important, okay, can we confirm or deny these results? Or like you said, do more what we typically feed our horses. So what did this follow-on study find? Yeah, so the first study is just exploratory, right? Like what happens when we feed a lot of protein? Well, something definitely happens, but then... Like you said, you need repeated studies. In a perfect world, you repeat studies multiple times in the same lab. You then go out to other labs, see if they can replicate your methods, courses, et cetera, et cetera. So, right. One study is not truth. It's fascinating. Mm -hmm. And it's a place to build upon. So the second group comes in and they say, you know what? That is interesting. Like, we do feed horses a lot of protein, but the way they fed it is very much an experimental model that doesn't replicate real life. What we do, quote unquote, in the field, which is kind of funny because we do it in a barn, but like in the field is what we talk about any research, like field research in real life in the barn. So in this second study, they were specifically interested in we take this application and we do it in a way that is much more representative of real life. And I, I will say one other issue with study number one, which is totally normal in exploratory research. So I don't say this in a very critical way, but it's simply there wasn't a negative control, meaning that we fed these horses the set high protein diet. It also came with some sugars and starches. That's the reality of the ingredients. So in a perfect world, if you had the money, you had the numbers of horses, you had the resources. In study number one, you would have fed the same quantity of NSC and fed it with low protein to see how much of that response when I feed four mix per kg is driven by protein, how much of it is driven by NSC. Okay, so just a reality of exploratory research. So we don't have that answer. Study number two is designed, I think, in a really, really um, tactful way that 
frankly answers a lot of questions, which is challenging to do in equine research studies is to answer multiple questions at once, simply because cost-wise, it's challenging to design studies with enough power, statistical power, enough horses to do that. So in study number two, Mason and coworkers, this was published in 2022, they looked at the insulin response of three different ration balancers. So they did a low, a medium, and a high, and their low was 17% crude protein. Their medium was 26% crude protein, and their high was 37% crude protein. And they're fed at one pound per meal for that thousand pound horse. So now we've replicated much closer to real life. Number two, which I found incredibly helpful just from a science perspective, they kept the NSC content consistent across those three levels of protein. So I'm like, yes, perfect. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now we're specifically answering the protein question. And we'll go to this as we wrap up the study. They had a positive control, which mm-hmm. is cracked corn. So they fed these horses the equivalent of one pound of ration balancer for that thousand pound horse measured their insulin response after the meal in healthy and horses with equine metabolic syndrome. And what they found was after that meal, yes, those horses with equine metabolic syndrome did have an increased insulin response compared to the controls. It wasn't nearly as dramatic, though, as when you fed four pounds of ration balancer. And there was no difference between the horses that were fed the 17, the 26, or the 30%, 37% crude protein ration balancer, suggesting that majority of that response is just driven by the sugar and starch that comes along. So even though it's a low level, those horses are responding to it. That's absolutely expected from this really large body of research that we have. And then they had the positive control, which was cracked corn. Super high NFC, yes, okay? Yes, yes. And, and what the positive control allows us to do is to make sure your study population is responding as you would expect to that high NSC load, right? So they fed, again, a low quantity replicating the quantities that we had been doing. But that group that was fed cracked corn had a wildly higher insulin response than those fed the ration balancer. So the positive control in this case shows that, yes, the horses who had equine metabolic syndrome as a population are responding as we would expect Sugar and starch is the primary driver of that insulin response post-meal. So ultimately, their conclusion was when when fed in a relatively normal application, the ration balancer is protein in the ration balancer is not what's driving that insulin response in horses with equine metabolic syndrome. Yeah, so it does kind of call into question the the first study. You explain that great too, and it, and it does it exploratory research, like you said, you do this initial study wow, we found something interesting. Then you dig a little bit deeper and and you find, okay, well, maybe it was these factors, not quite what you thought in the first one. Happens to all of us as, as scientists, and that's that's the whole point of it. So- well, and and I think, sorry to interrupt. I'm, I'm just excited. We're talking science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think one thing to, that's important to realize is like study number one wasn't designed to replicate mm-hmm. a field trial. They, they had a specific question, which is when they feed a lot of protein, what happens? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you build from there. And they've done some other work, like looking at mTOR signaling, like really mechanistic stuff that it, it's not directly applicable to 
you know, what we're thinking about day to day and managing these horses. So they have some really interesting mechanistic questions that are diving way deeper than, you know, just managing the, these horses' conditions. Whereas the second study, I think, did a great job of really saying, okay, that's fascinating. How can we take the application, make it very close to real life? What are the implications of that? Now, there is something else, though, I took away from exploratory study number one, which this is an area, right, that needs more research. But it does support something that I've seen anecdotally more than once, which is sometimes, even though we know sugar and starch is the main driver of our insulin response in these horses, legume hays are generally lower in sugars. There's not much starch in our legumes or our alfalfa or our grass hay. They're lower NSC. Now, this could be confounded by calories, okay? So generally, your alfalfa is more calorie-dense than your grass-type hays. But a lot of times, we'll see these horses still experiencing symptoms, even though the hay is pretty low NSC when it's very heavy in alfalfa. And alfalfa comes with a lot of protein. So we switch these horses to a grass-type hay. And even though the NSA might be similar, even go up a little bit in that grass-type hay, symptoms go down. This logically makes sense to me based on the research in that when you're grossly overfeeding protein in what is mm -hmm. the bulk of the horse's diet, hay, one and a half percent or more mm -hmm. of their body mm -hmm. weight, that, that could be a thing. So we don't know how much protein in hay is too high. We don't even know if that is a driving factor. But that would absolutely be an area that, A, I think just based on the bulk of anecdotal research, and now we have a little research to support that if you grossly overfeed protein, it is an insulin signal. Maybe that's an additional area we think about in our hay, but largely keeping in mind that NSC is the primary driver of the insulin response in these horses. No, that's good. Yeah, no, that's a good explanation. And it, tying all of this together, because... You know, we're not going to, we should not be feeding four pounds of ration balancer per meal. That's just so much over nutrients. Please don't. Oh my God. Yes, please <laughs> don't. But so overall, you know, what is the basic diet for an EMS horse? I mean, I know we, we've covered this multiple times in the past, but maybe just run, remind the listeners real quick. And, you know, I guess what does this mean for those hor those horses that are metabolic? You're okay with the protein, but possibly, you know, in, in the hay, that's an area of research. And maybe in a year, we, we have a study that we can talk about on the podcast that shows some of this. So, so we'll definitely keep our eyes open for that. But overall, what does this mean for the horse? Yeah. Owner? Yeah. So my takeaway is from the body of research that's available today. So I, I say that in the sense I, I look forward to more research. I'm fascinated by this area. Things can always change. And mm -hmm. if we look at our recommendations, they, they've changed over time based on what we know. It's always a moving target. But that being said, with the information we have available today, my main focus is still going to be to minimize sugar and starch in my equine metabolic courses diet. So that looks like absolutely controlling the concentrate. Okay, so we're going to do that generally through a ration balancer. Tiny, tiny intake, low NSC, high protein to make up the set that we're feeding only a tiny bit. So like your essential K is still the product I'm going to recommend for those horses with EMS who don't need additional calories beyond their hay. And I'm going to encourage you really to look at your opportunities to control the sugar intake from their forage. This is the hard part and it's the part that's often not managed. So it's 
not turning them out on spring pastures. It is utilizing grazing muscles. It is testing your hay. And when I'm testing hay, I might think about, hey, I think I need a grass type hay predominantly that is lower in NSC and avoiding super heavy alfalfa diets. Makes sense because calorically, a lot of times it's too many calories anyways. Now, there are situations where these horses also need more calories beyond their forage. So that's where seniority low NSC would come in. So it is 10% NSC. It can add calories to the diet in a way that's still very safe, minimizing our sugar and starch intake. And then finally, I'm going to encourage you to think about exercise as well. You know, many of these horses are overweight and we know obesity makes insulin resistance worse. And we know that exercise can improve insulin sensitivity. So that's an opportunity just in thinking about the holistic way we manage these horses. And exercise could look different, right? If they're symptomatic, they have limonitis. Obviously, we're not going to go out and force exercise. For some of these horses, it might look like taking a walk when they're sound enough to do that. It might look like light walk trot. It's going to be incredibly personalized based on the horse, but those are all opportunities to think about this holistically. And right now, I'm not going to be worried about feeding a ration balancer to these animals based on that follow-up study done by Mason and coworkers published in 2022. Yeah, we're good. We're good. And if you have any questions, you know, either around this study or, or some other research you've come across or topics, please feel free to, to reach out to us. Uh, the link's always in the show notes. You can contact the Tribute team. And if you have any questions about your what you're feeding your horse or you have a metabolic horse and you need some help, again, contact us. The link's in the show notes or you can go to tributeequinenutrition.com. Or you can contact us on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, This was fascinating. I I remember you brought it up, but I was like, okay, I haven't really heard about this too much because it hasn't been across, come across my radar. But the more I read into it and listening to you, it's just fascinating talk. Great job today, Nicole. And I look forward to our our next uh, podcast. Thanks, Chris.